Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about reading. I've written at least two dozen articles on this subject on the internet over many years, and not much progress is made, and that's because the people who don't like reading are in control in some way, so if you see a little exasperation, you're right. The title of this piece is, Hey, Teach Those Children to Read. Bizarre but true, many so-called reading methods don't actually teach children to read. What some do instead is to teach children to handle books, look at books, discuss stories that might be in the books, cuddle with the books when they go to sleep, and experience books in every way that does not involve actually reading the words. Whole language, and in many variations, in its many variations, is based on the concept of a literacy-rich environment. If children are surrounded by books, they will somehow learn to read. So goes the dogma. Experience shows, however, that we can be surrounded by music or sports for years and never learn to play guitar or understand hockey. We are in buildings every day. Do we become architects? For me, the best example is cricket. I've seen it mentioned on television sports a hundred times. I still don't know what they're doing. And I think, by the way, the cricket people are very inept at marketing of their own sport. Here's the thing. Most skills must be taught directly. Reading is a primary example. Children learn to name and print the letters of the alphabet. That's where you start. Then they learn the sounds of the letters, then the blends. Now they are reading. All of this should happen by the end of first grade. Many experts I've followed over the years use the figure of uh, the first Christmas vacation in first grade. These experts say children should be reading by the time they go home for that vacation. See, that's less than four months. Meanwhile, the public schools will get your kid for five or ten years and the kid won't, still bit won't be able to read. So this is a very huge topic and will feed into all the other topics I will be discussing that we have gotten a school system which seems more concerned with dumbing down the population than in smartening up the population. Now, one of the things that always annoyed me about reading is that the groups and the people who supposedly care about reading actually don't help very much. Now, there's a big push among uh, nonprofits to hand out books to poor people. And the theme, the theme song, the theme over and over and over again is read to your children. And there's this image of the kid who's playing on the floor and the parent is sitting in the chair and reading away. And somehow when you hear something read to you all the time, you're supposed to pick it up. Again, this doesn't work. The w only way it works in reading to your children is you and the child are sitting side by side and you're both looking at the same page and the adult will now and then touch a word or indicate left or right directionality or explain, oh, that's a B word there, that starts with P. Just little things, you know. It, it, don't make it like it's a, a job or instruction. The point is to pull the kid into reading. Give them a good story and let the literary stuff do the work. Now. To summarize the phonics side, I just want to give you um, how it should be done. And as I said, you start with the alphabet and the sounds. You know, in all the pictures of children from 100 years ago, they had play blocks on the floor with the 
letter blocks, alphabet letter blocks. I don't know if they do that anymore, but that's what you should do. So I've seen cribs where they had the blocks on a piece of a metal wire across the one end of the, the crib so that the child sees letters and then little by little they stay in your mind. That's, that's a smooth way to do things. It's a part of life. Okay, now remember with English we have upper and lower case and this changes completely from say for example Chinese where all the sight words if you want to call Chinese sight words some people try to make that connection but every uh, Chinese ideogram is uppercase so to speak now when you're talking about English and you go from lowercase to uppercase the whole shapes change and when you're talking about just visuals Look at the difference between a lowercase a, which is kind of a little curly Q thing, and a big uppercase a. They don't look like they're from the same language, never mind have the same meaning. So it's, that's why it's so important to get the alphabet, upper and lowercase, all sizes and colors and typefaces and scripts and everything. You know that letter, and then you build from there. All right, the second thing is you get the sounds, and the sounds, let me explain this quickly. People have nicknames like Bill, but their real name is William. Now, in the case of the letters, you have an A, and that's like Bill. But the real A is the ah, or ah, that sound that's in, in every word where you see an A. Your short A and your long A. I want to confess that I was in high school before I knew the difference. Maybe I was even older. If I didn't need to know something, I just ignored it. And for some reason, I went from one school to the other and missed it probably would have confused me more than it helped me. Each word, you just get used to the way it's said. It's like street names in your neighborhood. But you always start with capital letters. Sentences start with capital letters, I should say. And they go from left to right. Proper names start with capital letter. And they end with a period. And there'll be a gap, and then there'll be another sentence. These are basic things. And phonics, this is all part of phonics, that you're always moving left to right, across the page and across each word. You don't ever do it any other way. And the great sin of sight words is that it trains kids to read the, kid, the word in all directions, like you read a face or a car. You don't read a car left to right. There's no point. The brain, it gets enough little, uh, they call saccades, the next little points where your eye hits something on the car. Oh, look at that line. Look at that. It's hard to say sometimes. It takes 20 or 30 little hits. And that's how you read a face. So it's not that other guy in, in accounting. It's Jimmy. No, this, is that William or Jimmy? You know, you see, you make enough little connections to the picture, then you finally figure it out. Now, when you're starting off, kids, it's very important to enjoy the language and have fun. That's been the whole purpose for thousands of years for what is called nursery rhymes. Do kids even know nursery rhymes? I wish I could tell you that I'd seen a survey. I don't even know what the kids do. Certainly they hear a lot of advertising jingles and songs and things, and all this can be used. Two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? Knock-knock jokes, puns, clever dialogue heard on television. Encourage children to memorize anything they seem to like. In other words, the kid shows some little reaction, then you say, yes, yes, that's right, and then you say, that's interesting, and they did blah, 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 blah. And I can remember my mother re uh, recited, I should say, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And maybe I was five or six years old, but my brain kind of stopped and said, that's very pretty. What is that? Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, how I wonder what you are. It's a beautiful piece of genius there by Robert Louis Stevenson. Now, here's the thing that the 
school system tries to hide when it keeps trying to teach sight words. At the age of six, kids actually have a recognition vocabulary way above 10,000. It's really hard to grasp. But, keep, but kids, just stop and think about this. Kids can carry on adult conversations where somebody says, well, where's um, you know, Brett Favre playing football now? Oh, he's too old to play football. When did he used to, wait, who did he used to play for? Oh, Green Bay Packers, wasn't it? Or whoever it was. Look at those names. I mean, if, if, if you were somebody in uh, middle European country, you might be in English five or ten years before you could get it around to that kind of conversation. Long, long words, proper names. And because of the fact that uh, this is another thing I didn't figure out for several years in terms of the damage done by sight words, there's no proper names on any of those sight word lists they're sending home with the kids. No George Washington, no Benjamin Franklin, no uh, First World War, no Robert Louis Stevenson. None of those things, they don't, kids don't know how to read uppercase, uh, lowercase words, capital letter words, you know, in, in the states like Pennsylvania, you're never going to learn that as a sight word. You're just going to have to go, you know, somewhere. I mean, really, our education establishment is a, that'll be one of the themes, you stick with me and listen to a bunch of videos. It's not going to be a sequence, just come back anytime you want. I'll be talking about education, K-12, as a crime scene where anything you can think that could be done wrong, they have figured out a way to do it wrong. And the thing is, you cannot protect your kids unless you know what they've done wrong. Why are sight words a bad thing? It's not enough just to say you need phonics and this, that, and the other. They can play with your mind all the time. Oh, well, oh, the, the thing you'll hear, you went to school and said, oh, kids need phonics. They went, all kids are different. Well, um, there's a woman I uh, talked to a lot in England. I think she's gone now, but they, her name was Mona McNee, and she said, well, sure, kids are different, but their similarities are far greater. I said, yeah, that sounds smart to me. See, that's why I like all the phonics people. They, they talk to you sensibly. They say something that you immediately think, yeah, that makes sense. But to say all kids are different, and therefore we're going to have three or four different curricula in the school, that sounds nuts to me. The school will be disorganized. The kids will be hearing other things happening at the same time. I don't even know how the school officials could pretend that it would work. I, I have to tell you, this is a story about me for a second. I was in the Army for two years, and looking back, one of the things that amazed me was they would take 200 guys from all different backgrounds, put them in the bleachers, and lecture them. Probably some colonel, uh, some sergeant, but written by a colonel in the Pentagon, and it never struck me as artificial or stilted or, or scripted, although it was scripted. I don't think you could let a sergeant loose to make a lecture to 200 people. But what struck me is how all that information, right, if it's done right, goes right into their brains and we got what we needed and then, boom, stand up, attention, forward, march. It was just amazing to me. At one time it was raining and we were sitting there in our ponchos with a rain falling down in front of our eyes and, and I thought this is interesting this is really interesting <laughs> I don't know how to express it to you but we're out there and we're learning and I've been to many many lectures over the many years I've been in school and most of the lectures I went to were not as well organized and not as efficient as the ones in the military because lots of smart people have worked on those things and they don't condescend toward the people you're teaching it doesn't matter how simple you make something if it works that's simple is good if that's a little below your audience, they'll, they'll, they'll start saying things to you. Oh, we already know that, or why don't you go deeper? Well, right, I'll do, be glad to go as deep as you want to go. All right, now, 
another thing that's going on is that handing out those books, I have to come back to that. It, it had me busy for a, quite a while thinking of other things, and I called my thing, I call the concept the early literacy pack. That's what they should be given to the poor kids. Uh, you know, some videos about uh, phonics and uh, early articles and just the things I've been saying where you read side by side, you don't read to them separate from you. You want the kid to be drawn into the language. And another thing you've got to not do with kids, stop worrying about what's proper and what's literally appropriate. Whatever's fun. If the kids smile, if you can get them to say, read that again, boy, then you're winning. That's how you know you won. You picked the right thing and you read it right. So now I have an article on one of my, on my main site. Uh, my host is messing right up right now, but I hope it's there. It's called Preemptive Reading, number 54, Preemptive Reading. That's all. You just enter those three things. You don't need my name, but you'll see the name there. And that's like a two-page thing in the, on the web page. Take you 10 minutes to read it. And that's an intro to phonics. I'll explain all the things I've said here, but in a nice methodical way. And that's where you need to get started. And if you still need an actual phonics program, then this will give you some suggestions. I'll just go ahead and tell you that um, this guy named Don Potter, I call him the phonics guru, he's very fond of Loring's blend phonics. And he's also very fond of Samuel Blumenfeld's alpha phonics. Both cheap are free on the internet. And these are what you call real things. But I want to warn you right now, phonics is not a set of rules. It can be taught that way. But I see more completely than I ever did before. It's a concept. When you look at that thing on the page, that little printing there, if that thing there is supposed to represent, the shape is supposed to cite words in it. But if you understand that that stuff on the page is supposed to tell you sounds, you see the little symbols and things, and somebody tells you it's pronounced shuffleboard because this shuffleboard. You see, shuffleboard? Oh, shuffleboard. Oh, yeah. They, that's what's called sounding it out. And that connects you to the word, the, the shape of it, and everything. And these, these so-called professors claim that English is not even a phonetic language. What they mean is it's not always phonetically, phonetically consistent. Because some of these words come from ten different languages, and you and the, your vowel drift, you got o going o u ah. An o can be a lot of different things, but every word in the English language is phonetic in the sense that what's there on the page is trying to help you say it correctly. Maybe lead you a little astray, but there's always going to be like it took me. <laughs> I was middle aged when I realized that Mexico has a silent x in the middle of it, and so is Mexico. If you're in, down in Mexico, why is it Mexico? Well, how did you get to Mexico? Because we don't have any silent X's. We have X is one of our strongest letters. But in, Me in Spanish, boom, they just dispense with it. Oh, Mexico. Seems like it's missing something. But anyway, I gave a lot of thought to different things. And uh, I wish those, those um, charitable groups, which are probably taking write-offs for getting the publishers are getting write-offs for giving them all these books, and then they give them to the parents. It's better to have a few really good books that the kids are responding to. Classics. Ask your neighbors what their kids like. Make, make a, I'll go on the Internet and just list this. Best 100 children's books. You can always find this sort of information. The trick is to make it fun. Reading, as I say, it's a concept. Once they learn to sound it out, and, and you can save your kid. 
There's no reason why you have to let your kid be subduced and, and abused by the public school system with their sight words. In, in fact, it, it's terrible what the schools do to people. We have 50 million functional illiterates. I'm sorry, folks, but don't look benignly on this. They are, I can't use that word, I guess. I was going to they are, how can I say, shafting the American people. And that's why Charlotte Iserby could write a book called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. And the best way you dumb down America is you keep people from becoming really literate. There's a lot of millions of people in this country now who know three, four, five, six hundred words on site. They know McDonald's, the shape of it. They can f work through something, but they can't read for pleasure. Real reading invariably leads to people seven, eight, nine years old reading books and magazines because it's always a subject the kid is interested in. It doesn't matter to me if it's surfing and tattooing. I don't care. If the kid is reading, you're, you're winning the game. All right, now, this, this podcast will be out every week, and uh, it's, it's kind of complimentary to a book I have on, on Amazon called Saving K-12, which is really what my game is all about, Saving Our Public Schools. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education, but the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four. The big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter. He said, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lenin's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site, improve-education.org, with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the Internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.